You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Hosea. Hosea is the, if you look at, uh, it's right after Daniel. <clears throat> go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, go backwards, and it's right after Daniel. The book of Hosea. It's the uh, title of the message this morning is the book of Hosea, or we could look at a, another title as the story of God's unrelenting love. And we have the, uh, it's the last of the minor prophets before the exile. So Hosea is, they're not in chronological order. Hosea is the, the first one mentioned in the Bible, but the first in the, in the order of the Bible, but he's the last prophet in the northern kingdom before their fall. So he prophesied to the north, and it's sort of like the last call to repent to the northern kingdom. Uh, so the north, the, the, our, our uh, Sunday school lesson happened in the northern kingdom, and this is years later, at the, near the end of their time. So the, uh, the minor prophets are called minor, not because they're less important, but because they're shorter. They're shorter in length. Now, Hosea does have 14 chapters, so we'll see how that goes to get through that this morning. But in the Old Testament, or in the Jews, uh, when, they when they talked about the, uh, the Bible in the Old Testament, they divided it in three sections. They had the, the, uh, the law, the book of Moses, the law, and then they had the Psalms, and they had the prophets. And they referred to, Jesus referred to it as that. So the distinction of minor prophets, major prophets came later. But Hosea and Amos would have been preaching at the same time. That, and the same time as in the north. They were in the north, and Isaiah would have been preaching at the same time. He was, they overlapped in the south. If you look at the kings mentioned in, in the first verse of chapter 1, it mentions four kings there from the south, and it mentions Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, the north. Jeroboam the second. And those are the exact same kings that Jer Isaiah mentions. So they would have been contemporaries and overlapped. So uh, Hosea prophesied during the time of uh, Jeroboam the second. And his time, he, Jeroboam the second would have, would have been king almost 40, like 41 years. And this was a time of peace and a time of they expanded their borders, and uh, there was a lot of a time of prosperity and affluence. And they, uh, we see that it led to their complacency and their spiritual decline. In uh, Amos, uh, we looked at last a few weeks ago, Amos, he said, Woe to them that are at ease. And that's the setting. There was a spiritual apostasy. Uh, and the priests were unholy, the kings were wicked, and then the people were too. And let's turn to chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, just to get a setting of how uh, Hosea describes the situation. Chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord had a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. So we see here, that's the picture. There was no truth. There was no mercy. There was, uh, there was no knowledge of the Lord in the land. 
and uh, they were not being instructed in the things of God. And if we just go back a few verses down here in chapter four, in verse six would be the classic verse here in Hosea. It says, my people were destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. So there was a lack of knowledge in the land. Now, this wasn't a lack of education. It was not, wasn't a lack of colleges. It was a lack of the word of God. It was a lack of hearing the word of God. And it was a, uh, it, it, there was no hearing and there was no doing. So there was a famine in the land, as Amos would describe it. And here we see a lack of knowledge. And if we go back in chapter 8, we don't, know, don't turn to it now, but it says, I have written to them the great things of my law, but they counted them as a strange thing. So here they were that far removed from God and his truths of his word that they, they would look at the word of God and said it strange. It, they said they, they, that's how far they were. So away from God. And of course, with this prosperity and this affluence, came the height of Baal worship. We saw it in our Sunday school lesson. Well, that didn't stop it. It, it continued. And this was the, there was the idolatry was rampant. This pagan worship included all kinds of immorality with it, all kinds of injustices. And, uh, and as we looked at all of these minor prophets together, we see that they, call, they, all, they all call out some of the same things. And number one, it's the idolatry. Idolatry, they all spoke against the idolatry. It's the way they, in, they insulted God with their Baal worship and such. And, they, and immorality was, was another thing. The, it's the way they indulged in themselves and, 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 uh, and all the injustices. And they all talk about that, the social injustices that were there. And just the verses that we read here, it's the way they were treating each other, the way they were injuring each other. So, and we look at that, that was their day, and today we can take that to our day today. Isn't our land full of idols? Isn't our land full of immorality? Isn't our land full of injustices? The same things that the prophets were calling out there, these were things that were important to God, and I believe they're important to God today, and we see them very rampant today. You'd think some of the minor prophets would be speaking to us today. Now, interesting, they, they didn't throw out their Jehovah worship. They just added pagan worship to it. They just added Baal to their worship. They didn't deny God. They just forsook him for other gods. They added, actually in Micah, he says in Micah, uh, he said that the people had the audacity to say, isn't the Lord among us? No evil can come upon us. They claimed to be the children of God, but they were stooped into this idolatry, immorality, and all the injustices that were there. So when we think, when we compare the, uh, the, the uh, personalities between Amos and Hosea, they were preaching at the same time. And Hosea is a different kind of guy than Amos was. I believe Amos was a, 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 a prophet. I mean, he said it like it was. He called them... Ye kin of Bashan, he called the women of Bashan cows. And he, he didn't mince words. He spoke like, he told it like it was. Hosea here is a little more tender. We see a little more mercy coming through. And we're going to see God, they had these, God had these two prophets here at the same time, and there was a balance. 
uh, Amos and, and Hosea had, was, was uh, on the, the mercy side, but God had a message to show Israel through Hosea. You know, we're going to see in Hosea how God demonstrated his feelings. You know, prophets, they, they foretold and they foretold, and they also demonstrated messages. So when a prophet would foretell, they would tell, make predictions about the future. Uh, they're also called seers in the Bible because they saw into the future. Forthtelling is when they tell something that's already been told. They just proclaim it, proclaiming truth. They're still a prophet, but they proclaim it. But they also, prophets, demonstrated a message. They demonstrated to get the people's attention. And at this point, the people of the northern kingdom were not listening and God had to do something this drastic to get their attention, and it would, it did get their attention. They would look at Hosea and say, Hosea married a prostitute? You know, so he did get their attention. And you know, there's other examples of demonstrations. You know, Ezekiel was, he laid on his side for 390 days. Can you imagine walking after the second, third week, you go, what's wrong with Ezekiel? And it was to get their attention. It was to get their attention. And God got their attention. He told Hosea to marry a prostitute, and he did. Hosea had three children, and possibly one of those children were not his own. She was unfaithful, and then she went back into prostitution, and Hosea's great love sought her and found her and bought her back. Hosea demonstrated the message to the people. It was an object lesson. It was a living illustration that they could see and you see now when he when when Hosea went through this he had a burden and now he was ready to preach he preached he, he he felt like God felt and he was ready to give the message that God laid in his heart and uh, God says I want to use your marriage as an illustration you are going to illustrate me I'm you know at Homer uh, Hosea was God and Gomer was Israel. And it's interesting that Hosea's name means salvation. So really what God was saying in, in this illustration, in this story is, God was saying to Israel, uh, God was saying to Israel, what happened to our marriage? He's having them look at their marriage. It, he says, I still love you, but you don't love me. I love you even when you're unfaithful to me. And uh, so there's a picture. The picture of marriage is through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. And it's a uh, picture of the covenant relationship between God and Israel. In the Old Testament, God, you know, we have God as the husband and Israel as the wife. In the New Testament, it's Christ as the husband and the church as the wife or the bridegroom and the, and the bride. So in Jeremiah, we have a verse uh, in the Old Testament that says, Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. It paints a picture here that God is married to Israel. It's a picture that we see many pictures like that, many verses that we could look at in Isaiah and Jeremiah and different places that... God, and it's a picture of the marriage. In New Testament, we have Ephesians chapter 5, the, the uh, instructions to the husbands and the wives. And he says, in the context of wife leaving father and mother and cleaving to his wife, he says, this, 
this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So we have the picture of the, in the New Testament as well, Christ and the church. Parable of the ten virgins. The uh, Christ is coming again for his bride. Bridegroom is preparing a place and coming for his bride. The right time, the father's going to say, go fetch your bride. Revelation 19 says, the marriage supper of the lamb. So there's wedding pictures and marriages through, through the scripture. Marriage is a type or a picture of Christ and his church, God and Israel. And God uses this covenant relationship of marriage to illustrate his relationship with us and us with him. So the marriage is the closest relation, human relationship there is. It requires faithfulness, loyalty, and commitment. It requires mutual commitment. So committed that you go on loving no matter what happens. You know, to each one of us that are married here this morning, we probably had something in our wedding vows to say, as long as we both shall live, you know, or till death do us part, you know, or what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So we know, uh, we know how tragic unfaithfulness in marriage is. And Hosea was called to demonstrate this awful picture to Israel. He demonstrated the pain and the unfaith the, the pain of an unfaithful spouse. He demonstrated the broken heart of God because of Israel's unfaithfulness. The whole relationship between God and Israel is a covenant love. And the Old Testament talks about that a lot. Israel's part was for them to uh, the part of the covenant was to be loyal to his commandments, to obey them. And uh which they didn't do. They didn't follow through their part. God's part was to look after them, provide for them, protect them. The husband's part, which God did, which God did. So God wanted obedience. He wanted cheerful obedience. He wanted willing obedience. And that's what was missing. That's what he didn't see. The love that he gave to his people wasn't returned. And, uh, as it tells us, if we love him, we will obey him. God still loved them, but there was no love in return. God chose them and expected them to be faithful. And likewise today, God expects us to be faithful to him. He requires faithfulness. It's not a suggestion. He says uh, that we, it is required in a man that he be found faithful in 1 Corinthians 4.12. So he expects us to be loyal and committed to him. So that's the, uh, the book of Hosea is, uh, could be outlined in maybe two, two parts. One, the first three chapters is his personal life. Uh, and the second, the, 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 the second part would be the fourth, fourth chapter on would be his, his public life, uh, or his family and his ministry. And if you break it down a little further, it's the first three chapters, and that's where we're going to spend the most time, is Israel's unfaithfulness is illustrated. And then secondly, we could look at Israel's sins condemned, chapters 4 to 7, and we're just not going to have enough of time to cover them. And Israel's sin punished. Uh, we see the judgment in chapters 8, 9, and 10. And then we see Israel restored in chapters 11 uh, to 14. So we're basically going to spend our time in the first three chapters, and then we're going to end in chapter 11 and chapter 14 for a few 
closing thoughts and uh, uh, comments here. But when we think about the Israel's unfaithfulness and illustrated, let's go to chapter one and let's read uh, verse two. It says, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea and the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblon, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass that that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah, for I will will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. I will utterly take away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them. By the Lord, but by the Lord their God, I will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horse, nor by horsemen. Then when she had weaned Lo Rahama, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Lo Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. An illustration. Israel's unfaithfulness illustrated. Now, God asks Hosea to do a very strange command. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute in order to illustrate my loyal love to Israel, my unrelenting love, uh, and and to show their constant unfaithfulness. I want you to marry marry a prostitute. And in verse 2, in verse 2, it says, for she hath committed for the land hath committed great whoredom. You see, this was a picture. The, they, have, they, were, they were far from God, departing from the Lord. And he did. He went and married Gomer and treats her, took her home, treats her as a wife, loves her, and takes care of her. Now, some would say that, you know, if you read commentaries on this, some would say, well, God would never ask a young godly man like Hosea to marry an immoral woman. And some would say, well, maybe she came, became a harlot after he married her. And then others say, well, maybe it's a dream or an allegory or a vision. But, you know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says, the Lord said to the Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and the children of whoredom, for the land hath committed great whoredom. So it, it doesn't, you know, either way we didn't, get caught up there because it doesn't change the message of the book. It is a strange command to illustrate God's unrelenting love despite their their constant unfaithfulness to him. So you see, Hosea illustrated God and Gomer is illustrating Israel. For the land hath committed great whoredom. It's language to describe what it really was. So he went and married Gomer. Can you imagine the gossip that was going on. Did you hear who Gomer married, who Hosea married? The message God was giving was for them to see, for them to see. They weren't listening, but they were looking. They would have saw, that's Hosea that married a prostitute. 
a living illustration. Then in verse 3, it says he bare him a son. Now, God was bringing the family in in this illustration. Now, it's becoming a family illustration, a family illustration, and says to name him Jezreel. Now, Jezreel means to scatter. God will scatter. He is about to scatter Israel and bring the northern kingdom to an end. And this happened in 722 B.C. when Assyria came in and took them captive. And he says, name your first child God scatters because that's exactly what I'm going to do because of your unfaithfulness. And then she had another, she had a daughter. And notice it doesn't have the hymn there. It says in verse 6, and she conceived again and bare a daughter. So it's possibly that it wasn't Hosea's child. We don't know for sure. But name him Lo-Ruhamah, which means no mercy. The Lo is, is no, it's the negative. It takes away that Ruhamah is mercy. And so the Lord has come to an end of showing mercy. Captivity was coming. Hosea in his marriage and in the names of his children was a living object lesson for Israel to see. You know, when we think about names, we, uh, naming is, is very important when we think in the Old Testament. And today we use nice names and, you know, we have names like, uh, uh, like mercy uh, and joy and peace or uh, um, grace. You know, those are names. They're nice names. But if you put, if you put no joy or no mercy, that just changes the picture. You know, uh, it would be like no uh, no mercy would be like condemned, the opposite. So what's your name? Condemned. So it, no mercy. That's, that would have, really would have spoke. What's your name? No mercy. Uh, poor girl. <laughs> so then he had another, uh, another child and says, name her Lo-Ami, which means Lo is taking away my, not my people. Not my people because Israel will no longer be recognized as my people. They're rejected. They're rejected. They're going to be taken away. Captivity is right around the corner. So these names represent a break in this covenant relationship between Lord and Israel. So these names would have stood out. And actually, if you look in your cross-reference, you'll probably find this not my people is brought into the New Testament. We see that in Romans, and we also see it in 1 Peter. When uh, in First Peter says, and when times past you were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now obtain mercy. You see, that is referring to the Gentiles brought in. We were not a people, but now you're a people. And this is what God was saying through Hosea, through name the children's names. You have a, you were, you're not my people. Uh, you, you were, you're. You were, but you're not, and they'll come back again. We'll see that here. So I will be your God, and you shall be my people. You know, that's a phrase that's repeated through the Bible. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I believe it's, uh, I did a, a search there on you shall be my people. I think it comes up 14 times in the Old Testament and in the New. And this was a, it talks about relationship. This, is, this book is about a relationship that was been broken. And God wants this relationship restored. Now, in, uh, in chapter 1 here in verse 10 and 11, it changes. 
Something changes here. It says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it'll come to pass in that day where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, and it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and point themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. So something changes. You know, I will punish you, but you will survive. You'll, and then he says, as the sand of the sea reminds us of the promise to Abraham. You know, the relationship between God and Israel and Israel and God has come to a crisis point. And things could not go on. Things could not go on. The Lord desires to say to them again, you are my people. And Ruhama, your mercy is yours again, but there's something that needs to change before that can happen. And that there needs to be a change in their conduct. There needs to be repentance. And the call is a clear call to repent. Uh, and we see that they, they, they could have, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. So these, ref, these, this talks about a future time, a future restoration of Israel when they'll be restored in God's favor. And we see that happening after the captivity, the return, and we see it in the millennium period. A lot, some of these verses refer to that. So in chapter two then, uh, it says uh, there, uh, plead with your mother, plead with your mother. In verse uh, two, chapter two, say to your brethren and Amni and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead. She is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her as a dry land and slay her with thirst. I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot, and she hath conceived them that done shamefully, shamefully. And she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. So here we see that their plea, the plea here is the, for the children to talk to their mother. Mom, you shouldn't be doing this. What are you doing? She needs to change. She needs to put away her whoredom. And in verse 6 it says, Therefore I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And here God says he's going to put roadblocks in her until she decides to return. He makes it hard for her. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. I believe she was at rock bottom here. I believe is when I believe this is when God told Hosea to come in to buy her back. And uh, chapter two explains why he's going to punish them for their spiritual spiritual adultery. And it's a call to repent. Repent. Gomer in this in is in this uh, is Israel in this story, and she is stooped in idolatry and spiritual adultery. And uh, in verse seven, she comes to her senses, and uh, it says, "And she, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but they shall not find them. And then she shall say, I will go and return to my husband, first husband, for then it was better with me than now.' And here it sounds like the prodigal son when he came to his senses and says, "I will go back to my father." She was at the end of herself. And uh, 
And then we see she didn't give any credit in verse 8 for uh, God uh, for providing the necessities and the things, she, the gold and the silver they just used for, to, uh, to, for the idols to bail. But punishment 9 and 10 talks about the punishment that's coming. I will cut off food and clothing. I will uncover her lewdness. So, and then in verses 11, uh, talks about the uh, feast days and the Sabbaths and the new moons. And uh, he says, they're not mine anymore. You added all this pagan stuff to it, and it's, it's yours, it's not mine. And verses 11 and 13 talks about the vines and the fig trees that are going to be destroyed. And Israel actually thought these were her pay from her idol lovers, but they, she was being punished for all the days that she served Baal. And then in verse 14, something changes. We see God's feeling coming out, his emotion. Let's read verses 14 to 17. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shall no more call me Bailey. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and those shall be remembered no, and, the, and shall no more be remembered by their name. So here we see that uh, God was in verse backing up. He was ready. He was punishing their, her prostitution. And now he says, I will allure her back. I will allure her back. Talking about Israel, I will go and woo her back. God has feelings towards his people. He is just and he's also merciful. Sin must be punished. The justice, sin must be punished. And the mercy, I'm going to allure them back. His unrelenting love, he wouldn't let go. He wanted to uh, draw them back to himself. And in verse 14, talks about bringing them into the wilderness and speaking comfortably with them. You know, the whole problem is they weren't listening. They weren't listening. And in the uh, wilderness, they listened. And that would have been their captivity, their punishment, the 70 years in captivity. And there they listened. God gave back their vineyards and they could sing again like they did after leaving Egypt. Uh, Exodus chapter 15 talks about the song that they had after they crossed the Red Sea. And then in verse 15, it talks about the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Uh, it talks about restoration. It talks about the uh, new opportunity. And these verses uh, get mixed in with the after the return and then also the millennium. Uh, but uh, in verse 16 is very, says, you shall call me my husband. She'll call me and not Bailey, my master. Um, not Bailey. Bailey, the husband had two words in the Hebrew for husband. You could be husband or master. The Bailey was for master. And it sounded alike. Uh, they, it sounded too much like the God Baal. And says, in the future, there's going to be a time coming when there'll be such a reaction to the Baal worship that this word, you won't use this word to call me husband. It'll be, you'll use the Ishi, not Bailey. So the, uh, and, and we know there was a time coming when this relationship would come together and I will feel like a husband to you again and you will be like a wife to me again. You can call me husband. You see God's heart here? God's unrelenting love. Verse 17 says that he's going to take away the names of these 
you know, there's going to be such a, a cleansing from Baal worship that they're not going to even remember their names. And when Israel returned from captivity, when they came back to into the promised land under Ezra and Nehemiah, they, and, and up to the New Testament, we look at all that time, they never went back into idolatry. Never. You know, in the New Testament, we see they had, they went to another ditch, and that was where they had their legalism and they were making all the rules so they don't fall into idolatry. But God, this, this, the captivity did cure them of their idolatry, their Baal worship. And verses 18 to 20 talks about the, uh, the picture of the millennium and, uh, and, and how God's going to return to them again. And, uh, I think we'll we'll move on here. In chapter 3, uh, no, no, let's look at verse 23. It says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy unto her that hath not obtained mercy. And I will say to them again, That were not my people, thou art my people, and thou shalt say, Thou art my God. See the relationship? It's all about this relationship that God wants, and he didn't have. And... Uh, that's this God wants a restored relationship. Now, chapter three, <clears throat> Hosea is told to go and buy her back. Chapter three, uh, let's read the, uh, just, I guess it's just five verses, we'll read them. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look after other gods and love flagons of wine. There's the offerings to Baal. Uh, Damon, you were talking about this morning. So I brought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not and thou shalt not be for another man, and I will be also for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without sacrifice, and without an image, and an ephod, without a teraphim. Afterwards shall the children of Israel return, and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now here, if we think the first command was strange, this is stranger. This is strange as well. Go again and buy her back. Gomer has left her faithful husband for other lovers. Enslaved here in prostitution, she was at rock bottom. God says, I want you to go and buy her back at the auction block. Hosea said, could, could have said, really? After all the pain and the hurt, I can't. I just had enough. Or he could have said, uh, you know, well, God, your law prohibits me from doing this. The point was, God is making, I love you. You have broken the law, but I will still buy you back. I still buy you back. And he goes and he, and he obeys. God says, I want you to go after her. I want you to buy her back. Pay the other man. Take her home. Forgive her and love her. Fifteen shekels of silver and a half, one and a half homers of barley. So 30 pieces of 30 shekels of silver was a going rate for a slave. Maybe this was all the money he had, and he gave all the food out in the pantry as well. Shows us the price that he paid. And we can look at it. We are bought with a price. We are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. And verse 3 says, Be faithful to me. I'll be faithful to you. Don't go back into your harlotry. I bought you. You're mine. I love you. I forgive you. Do you hear Jesus saying that? And he did it. 
I mean, the people that would look on and see Hosea doing this, they'd say, what's wrong with Hosea? What's wrong with him? What, but, you know, maybe some looked and said, what a patient, kind, loving, faithful man he is. And we can say, what a faithful, kind, loving God we serve. This book opens up the love of God for man and his love for us. It's not, it's not, it's abnormal. It's abnormal. The picture, you know, God is like the faithful husband to Israel. You know, he called Abraham out of Egypt. They, they, were, in, they were in Egypt. He brought them out of the slavery. He brought them to Mount Sinai and they entered into the covenant with them. And he says, I want you to be faithful. I want you to be faithful to me alone. And he gave them 10 commandments and he gave them a lot more commandments that all fit into the 10. And he says, I want you to obey me. And we know the story how they didn't. He took them into the promised land and, uh, and with the land of milk flowing with milk and honey, all the abundance, and they didn't do well. And they turned to the idols. They turned to the Canaanite gods, Baal. And God is pursuing them. He's pursuing them, a love that will not let go. And he's, he's all about having them to repent. Punishment was his last resort, but he's pursuing them out of his love and compassion and faithfulness. We can't miss the father heart of God in this. God is the faithful husband and Israel is the unfaithful wife. If only they would repent. If only they would repent. You know, Amos said, you know, God, God, Amos, in Amos, God said, I tried everything. I tried everything. I tried famine and they wouldn't turn to me. I tried drought, they wouldn't return to me. I tried pestilence, yet they have not returned to me. Amos said, seek the Lord and return to him. Captivity was last resort. That's not what God wanted to do, but he did that because of his justice required of it. You know, I was blessed here in our bulletin this morning in Hosea's quote from Hosea. It is time to seek the Lord. It's time to seek the Lord. Hosea 10, verse 12. It's time to seek the Lord. But in response to their pending judgment, they had a very superficial repentance in chapter 6. And it talks about it as a, as a morning cloud or as a uh, here a little and then gone. Um, you know, they, they turned to other nations. And they in chapter 7, they turned to Egypt and Assyria to get them out of their troubles. And God says through Hosea that they're like a silly dove. And a lot of word pictures in there. So let's turn back to chapter 11. And we're going to have another little, um, another verses here that now shows God here as a father and Israel as a son. And in verse 1 says, When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. And they called me, so we went from them, and they, they sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of, of a man and with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king. But they refused to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they, though they call them to the most high, 
none of all would exalt them. How should I give thee up, Ephraim? How should I deliver thee, Israel? How should I make thee as Admin? How should I set thee as Zeboin? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. You see the heart of God? I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Holy One in the midst of thee, I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar as a lion. But when he, but when he shall roar, the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt, as a dove out of the land of Assyria. I will place them in their houses, saith the Lord. Ephraim compassed me about with compassed me about with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet ruleth with God and is faithful with his with the saints. So when Israel was a child, this poem depicts Israel, uh, God is the father and Israel is a child. God is a loving father. And when Israel was in Egypt, they were in their infancy and God is describing them as helping them to walk. Like you take your, like your child, you hold your, stick your finger out, and they hold your hand, and he taught them to walk. He's, he's, he's uh, and, and they, uh, and, and then when he falls, he picks them up and helps them. He put band-aids on the bruises, and, and, uh, but they didn't, they didn't appreciate it. And then verse four talks about the bands of love, as a parent will watch a child and, uh, care for them, put the, Maybe in a in a busy place in an airport or something, you'll put a harness on and a leash, or so you keep tra- the, the bands of love. God's saying that this is what I did for you. This is what I did for you. But the son grew up and rebelled and turned on his father. You see God's emotion. He's going back and forth. One here, one moment he's he's angry and talking about punishment, and the next moment he's talking about his heartbroken. Uh, he how he's moved with mercy. And he wants to forgive the son that he loves. In verse 8, he says, how can I give you up? My heart churns inside of me. All my compassion is aroused. And then in verse 14, chapter 14, uh, just a few verses here, it says, verse 1. And here's the, here's the, here, here's, he lays it out. This is the verse. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. He's saying, uh, he, he says, repent, you have fallen by your own sin. He calls on Israel to repent and turn back. And he even tells them what to say in verse two. God is telling them what to say, what repentance looks like. He says, take with you words and turn to the Lord and say to him, take away our iniquity and receive us graciously so we will render the calves of our lips he said, you know, oh, Lord, take away our sins. That's the kind of prayer he wanted. That's the kind, not the kind, get me out of trouble, but take away my sins. You know, um, unfortunately, they didn't repent. And in verse four, it says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely for my anger is turned away from him. So it's, it, he's offering grace if they repent, but they, unfortunately, they did not repent. And verses five to eight describes healed Israel. As a lush olive tree, you know, deep roots, strong branches, offering fruit and shade. And uh, it's an image of God's promise to Abraham. Future restoration, future restoration. And then we have a very interesting last verse. Last verse, look at that in your Bibles. Who is wise? And he will understand these things. Prudent, and he will know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, 
and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressor shall fall therein. This verse is addressed, I believe, to the reader, to the reader, to us today. You know, Hosea shared these truths to the northern kingdom, and they definitely applied to them in their day. But they're applicable to us today. If we're wise, if we're prudent and understanding, we will apply these truths. We will apply them to us, to, uh, to today, God's character. There's something here for us today. His desire, we see his desire for a relationship. I will be your God and ye shall be my people. His un, unrelenting love. You know, Hosea's living illustration lives on. It lives on, it applies today. God, just like God said to Israel, what happened to our marriage? He's saying today to you and to me, how's our marriage? How's your, not your physical marriage, how's your spiritual marriage? Or you could say, how's your engagement going? You know, marriage is happening, it will happen after the rapture. You know, we're, we're engaged uh, to be married. Marriage supper of the Lamb's coming. But what does Jesus say about our relationship? What does he say about your relationship? What does he say about my relationship? Am I in love? Am I loyal? Am I committed? You know, is he saying, uh, uh, wow, she is committed, or wow, he is in love with me? Or is Jesus brokenhearted because of other gods, other things, you know, does he have a smiley face or does he have a frowny face? You know, the other things. You know, one thing that Hosea teaches us is that God has feelings. God has feelings. He's a person. When we sin against God, we're not only breaking laws, but we're breaking his heart. We're sinning against him. When we sin, it not only affects our relationship, but it breaks his heart. He has, you know... Uh, the children of Israel, you know, they didn't deny God. They just forsook him. They added other things to him. They added other things there. And as we think about the three things that were just came out over and over again through the prophets, the minor prophets, is the idolatry. The idolatry. What is competing? Is there anything competing in my life for his, uh, his loyalty? Our, what is competing with my contentment with him? You know, the verse there in 1 John where it says, the last verse, 1 John, John was an older man at his end. He wrote this book of 1 John, and he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I believe that was a, out of a heart of experience and a heart of, uh, you know, if you could hear him say it, I believe he would, would say it very fervently keep your and, and meaning with it from his heart keep yourself from idols he didn't name this one this one this one just keep yourself from idols and then if we think about the immorality that was rampant in their day how about today how about today you know with the family structure deteriorating and pornography on the rise rampant you know in Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 it says but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. That's God's standard. You know, these things that were important to God back then are important to him today. And then we have all the sins of injustice, and they're many. We started off reading the, the stealing and the lying and the cheating and taking advantage of this. And, 
you know, but there's many ways that we can hurt one another. All the injustices, maybe it's uh, not taking advantage of the poor, but maybe it's the way we use our tongue. And I believe that is very important to God, the injustices, the immorality, and the idolatry. And the same goes today. Oh, as a, the call was to Israel to repent is the same call to today. God chose Israel and expected them to be faithful. God chose you, God chose me, and we accepted his call, and he expects us to be faithful. It is required in a man that he be found faithful, and God is expecting that. It's not a suggestion. He wants us to be loyal and committed to him. So let's uh, stand together for a word of prayer, and then we can have a closing song. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Hosea. Lord, we just thank you so much for your overwhelming, unrelenting love that you have for man. The way you sought and pursued Israel when they were unfaithful to you, the way you loved them and regardless of what they did, we see you, we see your heart, we see who you are. Lord, help us to be faithful in 2000. In, in 2023, Father, help us to be uh, what you want us to be. Lord, help us to examine our lives and make sure that we, are, that we can uh, be found faithful to you as you require. Lord, help us to be committed, the uh, commitment to you. Help us to be uh, loyal and to be uh, obedient to your commands. Father, bless us for being here this morning and bless us as we part. In Jesus' worthy name we pray, amen.